Okay, open your Bibles up to 1 Peter chapter 1. Is that picture up on the video right now for everyone to see? Yeah. Uh, I wanted to, I'll talk about that in just one moment. I'll, let me go back to that in just a second. Um, I, want to sing bless, I want to sing Blessed Assurance for us this morning because really the richness of the words, it goes right into our text here this morning. And, um, and talking about the fact that we, Jesus is mine and glory is ahead for us as we go into the presence of the Lord. We are um, a church family. Can, can they see me right now? Or are they looking at the picture? Okay, good. Sorry, it's hard to know sometimes what's going on here. Um, it's like you kind of feel flying, like you're flying blind when you preach behind a camera. But we're a church family, and so we want to gather with you. So let me talk about that just for a moment, that we are praying that at some point we can gather again. And so please be praying for our country, praying for your elders as we talk about this. Our elders are meeting on Wednesday again this week to, to pray and ask God to give us wisdom and grace and, um, and know, like, what, what does that look like for us to be able to do that at some point in the future and pray that God will provide that for us and for our church that we can do that. And we're a family, so we want to gather. We want to worship our Savior. We want to grow together and, and comfort one another. And, and so we, uh, we celebrate right now a Mother's Day separated from each other as a church family, but hopefully you're with your family right now at home. Sometimes in, in churches there are um, there are mother-like people, you know, in that in that church, and sometimes there's kind of grandmotherly and grandfatherly people, and one of those grandmotherly people in our church is is uh, a person we call Granny Margie Gallagher, and she's been a member for many years. Of course, her son is Carrie, and and Claire's her, her daughter-in-law, and. Uh, They've been loving and caring for her for the past couple of years here, and uh, I know many of you have, uh, or some of you have gone over there and helped care for her when they were out of town, and, but uh, she's been uh, the granny of our church, you know, and that's what she's affectionately called in our church, and uh, on Friday night, at some point in the night, she went to go home to be with her Savior, and so we rejoice with her that she is now in the presence of the Lord. And we pray for Carrie and Claire and all those who are in their family that um, are, are missing her at this time. And our family, let me show you this picture here that we have. And this was, I think, back in December. And so sometimes when Carrie and Claire are out of town, they'd have different people go and uh, visit. And so we, we went over there and we sang to her. And we did that. we've done that a couple of times. We would sing hymns to her. And she loved to sing hymns. And she'd sing right along with us and our kids and she loved seeing those kids there, and we had a lot of fun. And I remember many times when I would see her, almost, it seems like almost every time, she would say something to the effect of, I don't know why I'm still here. I don't know why I'm still here. You know, I, I want to go. I wanna, I'm ready to go be with the Lord, you know. And, uh, and, and so, you know, we would encourage her. Well, you're here encouraging our kids. You're an example to them. And, um, and now she's got her desire, though. She's with her Savior, and so we're we're thankful for that, uh, for her, that she can now be in the presence. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Sometimes when you're a pastor, you think, I oh, mean, how can I start my sermon off? And so today we're talking about the, the heavenly inheritance, the reward we have in Christ and our heavenly home. And what a wonderful way to start our service, speaking about a mother who was godly, a mother who loved her, her son, Carrie, and her other children, and who was a great example 
and a mother who now is with the Lord. And isn't it amazing how God can tie some of those things together? Here you have a mother who's now with her Savior, and now we're talking about the heavenly inheritance that God has for his children. And we're looking in 1 Peter chapter number 1. And 1 Peter 1, 3 through 12 is a doxology of praise to God for our great salvation. And you saw last week that we divide, we said we're going to divide this, this really one sentence in Greek, but this section in Greek, or this section into three parts. It's three through five is a response to God's salvation of praise. In verses six through nine, it's a response of rejoicing, even though we're going through trials. And then in verses 10 through 12, it's a response of declaring and preaching of this great salvation. And so last week, we talked about praising God for this great salvation. We looked at four aspects to this great salvation, really got into the first two and kind of into the third one. So we're going to try to finish it up this morning. And in these three verses here, three, four, and five, we have really three key verbs, three key participles that describe God's work of salvation for us. And so let's look at 1 Peter chapter 1. Look at verse 3. We're just going to read those three verses here this morning. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. From the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So this, this section here, these verses call us to praise God for his great salvation. You can see the first verb there that's used to describe God's great salvation is in verse 3 that he has caused us to be born again. He's caused us to be born again. This speaks to the truth that God was the initiator of our salvation. God is the one by his spirit who regenerated our souls, who gave our souls new life. And again, last week we saw that this word, or these two words in English, but one word in in Greek, born again, specifically illustrates the process of conception. So it's the idea that just like a human birth results from an implanted seed that that grows inside of a woman, spiritual birth results from the, the word of God being implanted in the heart of a person and the Holy Spirit causing your heart, your inner person to come to life, to resurrecting your soul to life. So this is the wonderful truth that we have spiritual life because God has done a work we call regeneration of being born again. So we praise God for his merciful regeneration. And second, we should praise God for the anticipated resurrection. Look in verse three and he says, We were caused to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Remember we said that the three clauses after born again here show the result of our new birth. So we're born again to a living hope. We're born again to an inheritance that's kept in heaven and to a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So the first result of our new birth is that we have this living hope. We have this living hope, this, this hope, this expectation that we will experience resurrection. We'll experience a resurrected life. And 
how, how can we have any hope that that's actually going to be the case? Well, Jesus, in, in the past, at a historical point in time, actually was resurrected. He earned resurrection, and he offers resurrection to us. And so our hope is in the future, there will be a historical point when he will resurrect our bodies in this world. So we anticipate this, this resurrection. And then third, we praise God for this heavenly reservation. This is kind of where we left off. We talked a little bit about this last week, but I want to go back here and then finish off the last two points. This really comes from verse 4. You can see the end of verse 4 says that we have an inheritance that is kept, or you could say reserved, in heaven for you. So, So a part of God's great salvation for us, the result of this new birth, is that we now have this inheritance that is reserved for us in heaven. When we find out about loved ones like Granny and other ones that we uh, are uh, love and are know are with the Lord, we can think a lot about heaven, can't we? But I think the older you get, the more you think about heaven, partly because the more people pass and the more people that go on to be in eternity. And I think, though, it's important for us all to really have this mindset, to have this longing, this desire for heaven. I I really think that, as the, like I said, the older you get, you, you think about it more. But we all should have this anticipation, even the young. In fact, one of the reasons that we, uh, we do that with, with people like Granny, we like to go to people's homes like that, and some of the older people in the church, is because I want my children to be around people who, at some point in their childhood, could go on to eternity. And uh, we in South Carolina would do this all the time and go to people's homes, sometimes in their 80s, sometimes in their 90s, and you go sing to them, you basically become their friend, and then you go to the visitation. And, and uh, you know, sometimes you're at these visitations, and what you notice is it's all old people. In fact, you don't, don't typically see any even young people in their 20s or 30s. You see all these people that are, unless they're relatives, you know, and it's, it's kind of sad. It's kind of sad. I really encourage parents, if your kids are well-behaved and they can do this, to really, in, in teenagers, to go to those and, and experience the reality. Because there's nothing like going to a, a visit someone who has, has passed away, or I should say visit the family and the place where that person's body is, and to explain to a child that that person is no longer with us. They're now with the Lord. And it gives like this perspective. It gives this reality like this is what life actually happens in life. Like everyone will, will pass and you go into eternity and you either go into the presence of the Lord or you go away from the presence of the Lord. And this is actually what life is about. And so we should actually meditate a lot on heaven, upon this heavenly inheritance that the Lord has for us. So what is this inheritance? If we're, if we're to meditate on this, if we're to anticipate this, if we're to long for this, what is the inheritance that we have in, in Christ from the new birth. But we looked at it a little bit last week. I want to dive into it a little bit more this week. But I'm going to give you a definition here for inherit, the inheritance of heaven. The inheritance of heaven is the blessing of God's presence and God's provision. So the inheritance of heaven is really the blessing of God's presence and God's provision. And actually it's in contrast to hell. It's in contrast to what those who to those who inherit hell. There's a, there's a sense where the Bible uh, says that every person has an inheritance of hell, unless those per, those, those who uh, have experienced the mercy of God, they can have the inheritance of heaven. So, what, what is the inheritance of hell? Well, it's the exact opposite of the inheritance of heaven. 
the inheritance of every person is, is an inheritance they deserved because of their sin to be separated from the presence of God and from the provision that God has provided. In fact, 2 Thessalonians speaks of this. 2 Thessalonians 1, 7 is really a very sobering passage to consider the inheritance of hell is really the, the judgment of being separated from God's presence. And he says, this is God's justice. This is God as the righteous judge. Look in, on the screen, you see in verse 5, says, 1 Thessalonians 1, 5 says, this is the evidence of the righteous judgment of God. So God is a just judge. This is actually what you deserve right here. Everyone deserves this inheritance. And in verse 7, the Bible goes on to say that when the Lord is revealed from heaven, so at his, at his second coming, with his mighty angels in flaming fire, he will be inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God, those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. So these are, these are people who, who, who reject the good news of Jesus Christ. These are people who don't repent and believe the gospel. And here is, here's the, really the sobering part in verse 9. He says, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. And you can see the two parts of that judgment there. It's separation from God's presence, and then from the glory of his might, which speaks of the, the powerful blessings that come from God's glory. God's, God's glory describes really his character, who he is. It's, it's his greatness, it's his goodness, the, the magnificence of who he is, and, and all that comes with that. So, so when we think of hell, sometimes we think of the darkness, we think of the the pain, the suffering, and that's all there. But the worst part, the worst part is that you're separated from the presence of God. And the result of that is you don't receive the blessings of God. That's removed from you. And that's why there's pain. That's why there's darkness. That's why there's loneliness. So that's the reality for those who reject the Lord. And so that's why we plead with people to come to Christ. It's, it's not just for heaven, although it is for that but it's actually because there's something far worse awaiting you. And in contrast to that, to, to the judgment of hell, is actually the blessing of heaven, and that is that you get to be in the presence of the Lord. It, the inheritance of heaven is really that enjoyment of God and all that comes with his provision. And what does that include? Well, I, I, I'm going to say that I believe the Bible teaches that primarily... That includes God himself. I quoted a scripture earlier from 1 Corinthians 5 that says, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So if you look at texts that talk about our heaven and the glories of heaven, what you see is the primary focus is on Jesus' presence, that we get to be with Jesus and God himself in, in glory. <clears throat> in fact, let me read this passage in Revelation 21, a great passage that details the end of time when God makes all things new. And you'll see kind of both these parts, God's presence and God's provision. So if you look in verse 1 of Revelation 21, it says that I saw a new heaven and a new earth. So here's, here's the provision of God to give us a, a resurrected world for the first heaven, the first earth, that's what we're on right now, have passed away. The sea was no more. There's no more ocean there. And I saw the, the holy city, a new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And then, and then so here you see all the provision 
uh, of us being able to uh, exist in eternity with God. But here is really the inheritance. And it says in the next verse here, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. They will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. That's really the, the capstone of the inheritance right there. God himself. Listen, think about that. God himself will be with them as their God. I mean, that right there is why we are created, to enjoy the presence of God. I mean, think about the original creation God made with Adam and Eve in it, and why were they there on that earth, on this earth, but in a perfect earth there? It was to enjoy God. It was to enjoy fellowship, really, his presence. And they enjoyed that wonderful world and that, that beautiful garden God made, but really, the earth and all the things around it were really ancillary blessings to the presence of God. Adam and Eve enjoyed the world because they enjoyed God. And you could say it like this, enjoying the world was another way for them to enjoy God and to bring God glory. And all of that changed when sin came into the world. They didn't experience the worst of the judgment, but they got a taste of it when they were kicked out of the garden, when the world was cursed. But the, but the point is here is the primary enjoyment of Adam and Eve was really they got to enjoy God and all the blessings that come with God, which was the wonderful world in which they were living. So the, so the primary joy of our inheritance is this. It is God himself. In fact, listen to this psalm. Psalm 73. The psalmist is, is struggling with something, and he says, Whom have I in heaven but you? And beside you, I desire nothing on earth. My flesh and my heart may fail me. You ever been at one of those points where you're like, my heart and my flesh is failing me, but God is the strength of my heart and my inheritance, my portion forever. You know, sometimes you, you get in those times of life where you get really low. And you know why I, would, I think God wants you to be there sometimes? Because he wants you to recognize that he is your inheritance. And we go to him. And so, when we look forward to heaven, what we're really looking forward to is being with God himself. And, and then there's also the, the reality that that's encapsulated in. In other words, it's not just sometimes people picture eternity as like they're going to be some kind of mist that's floating through space, you know. That's not how it looks, okay. Or you're going to be floating in some clouds with some harp, and that's just not reality, okay. There might be some pictures out there. There might be some people that tell stories like that. That's actually not reality, okay. So God does actually put his presence within a reality, helps us to understand that. And what is that reality? Well, it's actually a resurrected world God has for us. It's a resurrected body that God has for us. So Revelation 21 describes this, this, this world God has, and he describes this city that comes from heaven, and somehow it's, it's connected to earth, whether it's on earth or above earth, or somehow we're able to enjoy that place. In fact, Revelation 21.11 describes this place. This is where a lot of people get to the descriptions of, of heaven from. And in Revelation 21.11, it says, Having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. So what you see here is a description of heaven, but can I, can I point out to you that the, the defining characteristic of this new city, of this heavenly city, 
is actually the glory of God and all the jewels and all that kind of stuff. He's just trying to describe how wonderful it is. But it's not about the jewels, right? It's not about the, you know, I, I, uh, I did a survey of our church last night, not everyone, but did some people last night and said, okay, what is, what is your favorite uh, song? What is your favorite um, song that you like to sing about heaven? So I, you know, sent that out as a text and got back some different replies. It's really interesting, actually, to see that. And I think it's actually important for us to, to know songs about eternity, know songs about this inheritance, so we can sing to the Lord about it. But, but here are the top two. You want to hear the top two? This would be interesting for you. So this is not an official, like, uh, studied survey, okay? But this is generally what the top two songs were. When we all get to heaven, and I can only imagine, which is interesting. It was kind of basically broken down by a generation. <laughs> But anyways, that, those are the top two songs um, that were, were picked. But those are, it's, it's actually important when we're to sing songs that are biblical about heaven. And I should say it's important to sing songs about heaven. But it's important also to make sure they're biblical songs. Honestly, there's some songs out there that you can sing. They don't even mention God or Jesus. And I don't mention the song because it's a pretty favorite. No one uh, is, you know, going to be singing that in our church, but there's some songs I saw out there that I was like, yeah, those aren't songs that I would ever sing, uh, because some songs out there, people just talk about streets of gold and mansions and all that, and it's like, where's God in all that? And so it's not a problem to think about those things, but in the context of enjoying the Lord himself, enjoying the presence of God. I I like um, both really those songs, uh, I can only imagine, speaks about imagining being before the Lord and worshiping him. When we all get to heaven, It goes like this. You probably know the song, When We All Get to Heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. When we all see Jesus, we'll sing and shout the victory. And and that's what it's about right there. It's about Jesus. It's about his presence, about being with him. We're longing to be with the Lord. And of course, this must take place in some kind of context and some kind of environment and some kind of reality that God has for us. And so so look at it on the screen here, 2 Peter chapter 3. Verse 13, Peter even talks about this in his next letter, his next epistle. But according to his promise, it's Christ's promise, we are waiting for the new heavens and the new earth in which righteousness dwells. So it's actually appropriate to to long for heaven and think of the blessings of that inheritance. Like we're longing for everything to be resurrected, for for this world to, to, to come back to how God actually wanted it to be not just to be resurrected to be the same and new, but actually be better than it is now. In fact, there's a sense where the Bible speaks many times about this, the creation just groaning and, and our bodies groaning and, and desiring this resurrection. In fact, you can look at this, and I think, I think I have this on the screen on Romans chapter 8. The Bible says that we are heirs. The children of God are heirs, heirs of God. Romans eight seventeen. And we're fellow heirs with Christ. It says, it says, provided that we are suffering with him in order that we may be glorified with him. So there's this idea that on earth, there's suffering. It's going to happen. So if you're shocked by suffering and difficulty, don't be shocked. That's something Christ said is going to happen. But he also said there's, there's going to be a day of glory, of being glorified with him. And then later on, a couple verses later, Romans 8.22, it says that the whole creation is groaning together in pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but also ourselves. For, for the, We are the first fruits of the Spirit. We groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption as sons, 
the redemption of our bodies. So the earth is groaning. We are groaning. And what's the groaning for? Oh, we need this resurrection. Like We need a world that is, we, we want this kind of world, right? I mean, honestly, nobody dreams of floating through space and thinks that's a great thing, right? So why people have that in their mind as eternity, that's, I don't know why. But we actually, we actually think about actually real places. Like, I would love to go with my family to the beach tomorrow. Would that be a lot of fun? Or I'd like to go with our church family and, and go out in the backyard and sing together. We think of locations. And that's what God wants to think about here. Like, there's actually a new location, a resurrected location with resurrected bodies. So you'll look like you are, but you'll be resurrected. You'll, you'll look like a world like we're in, better and a resurrected world. God has for us. And that's something to long for, right? That's something to enjoy. That's something that we can praise God for. And so verse 4 says that we have this inheritance, and it's, it's not the temporal nature. It's, it's not the temporal nature of an earthly inheritance that can perish and that can be defiled or spoiled or fade, but actually there is a certainty to this inheritance. It's because it's kept in heaven for us. It's an eternal inheritance. So look at verse 4. You can see that verb, kept. That's really our, our second participle verb there that speaks of God's work for, on our behalf uh, for our salvation. And this is an interesting word. It's a perfect tense, okay, which basically means this. It, there's a point in time in the past when it happened, and it has continued results. So what is the point in time when God started to keep us in our salvation? Well, regeneration, right? When he gave us this new life, and now we're still experiencing that. Some translations translate this word reserved, which I actually like that word better, just because it gives a better idea of what actually God is doing for us on our behalf here. So, you know, the idea of being kept is kind of feels a little bit like it's just happening now. But, you know, think about a reservation. A reservation is a promise in the past with continuing results that will actually be completed in the future. So that's why I call this a, a heavenly reservation. Now, do you remember the days when you could actually get a reservation at a restaurant? And that's sad that we're saying that now. But uh, hopefully that will change at some point here in the future. We, we mourn that. But one time I had, Dana and I had a gift um, that someone gave to us to go to a nice restaurant. And this is the kind of restaurant where you actually have to dress up to go to it. You have to get a reservation to go to it. So I called ahead of time and got a reservation, you know. And, and, uh, and, and you know, you're, when you walk into a place like this, you just feel like British royalty, right? You know, you feel like you um, should use a proper name. You know, I should be the, the Reverend Ice or something or the Duke and Duchess of the Ice family. I don't know. But, you know, you, you kind of have this idea that you feel like you're, you're really important. Of course, when you sit down and they put the menu in front of you and they don't have any prices on there, you recognize that they're probably because most people don't care about the prices, you know. And so, so you, you know, you order a little, the, the salad dressing on the side, you know, and you find out it's $5. And honestly, how I think, I'm like, I could buy a Chick-fil-A sandwich afterwards for that. Like, anyways, but, but you know, you have to make a reservation for something like that, right? You have to call in and then it, you, you kind of wait for it and you come in and then you actually experience the, the reservation coming into that event and enjoying that. And that's, that's a picture you see here that our, our heavenly home has been reserved and we're, we're in this period of time where we're waiting for the reservation to, 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 take, to be fulfilled, to come into completion and where we can enjoy that. You know, some of us, uh, some of you this month had reservations a couple months ago. You planned to go on vacation somewhere, right? 
and it's changed. When you have an earthly reservation, you don't know if it's going to take place or not. But this is a heavenly reservation. In other words, this is, this is something God has reserved for you. Therefore, it's certain to happen. Like it's, There's not a question if this is going to happen because it's a heavenly reservation. And I think I love, my, probably my favorite part is the very end of verse 4 where he says, it's kept in heaven for you. For you. I mean, I, I was thinking about this and I, with when I would uh, speak to children and teach children, I would love to put their names in this right here. And, and just think about that for yourself. Like, this, this, is for, this is for Ben Ice. This is for you. Put your name in there. God has a reservation for you in glory in heaven if you are one of his children born again. That's wonderful to think about. And the fourth aspect of this great salvation is his powerful protection. His powerful protection. That's found in verse 5. Verse 5 says, Who, by God's power, are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So the fourth aspect of God's great salvation is his protection, his guarding us. So this is the third verb that we find here that describes God's work of salvation. It's, it's his preserving work. It's his protecting, his guarding work. And so just like, again, do it, think about the overview of this. Born again happened at a point in time. So God, through the Holy Spirit, did a work in your heart to cause you to have new life. Then you're kept. So there's a time where he promised that you're going to have this heavenly reservation. So it happened at a point in time. And still he's keeping you. He's still keeping you for this reservation. And this word guarded is really interesting because it's in the present tense. In other words, it's something God is doing right now for you. He's guarding you. The word guarding Guard here is a military word. It speaks about a picture as an army protecting something that they think is very valuable. Who is, uh, who is God protecting here? Or I should say, what is God protecting here? Well, in verse 5, it says, who are being guarded? So who is this who? Well, look back in verse 4, and it says you. So the who is you. Okay, I didn't mean to rhyme that one, but the who is you there in verse 5. So you, you as a person, you are being guarded by the power of God. You could summarize these verses like this. God gave you new life. That new life is reserved, has reserved a spot for you in heaven, and your life right now is being guarded by God himself. We call this, in a theological sense, we call this eternal security. Now, honestly, I don't know how you can believe the Bible and not believe in eternal security. A text like this is just so clear. It's just so clear. Like we are guarded, and what is it? What are we guarded by? It's the power of God. I mean, I was thinking about what are what are some places that are some of the most guarded places in our world today. So I did a Google search. You know, actually, I think it was I, it wasn't Google. It was DuckDuckGo. But anyways, same kind of thing. And I looked up, and it, there's a couple different opinions, but one of them out there was Fort Knox. We're all pretty familiar with. Fort Knox, or at least information about it. No one's probably ever been there. Fort Knox contains 4,500 tons of gold. That's a lot of gold. Probably a lot more than we can imagine. Okay, 4,500 tons of gold. So there's a lot of valuable things there. And listen to how it's protected by the U.S. Army. There's a, of course, there's a base that's right there. 30,000 soldiers guard Fort Knox, as well as 300 tanks attack helicopters. The walls at Fort Knox are four foot thick granite walls. 
they say, they haven't tested it, but they say that it could withstand a direct hit of an atomic bomb. That's pretty. And actually below Fort Knox there is 10 foot of solid granite. So you can't, you know, come up from the bottom, I guess. There's the front door weighs 22 tons of, of blast-proof material. And you could go on and on just talking about, you have guards different places, they have different levels of security. It's, it's a pretty secure place. Could we say that, right? Yeah. I mean, pretty much, like, no one's going to be breaking in there and getting that. And so if, if we were going to talk about that gold, how, how secure is that gold? We would say, yeah, that's pretty secure. But I want you to think about this, and that is that the God who, who created this universe, the God who is the most, is all-powerful, he is the one, he is the one, his power is the one that is guarding you for salvation, which means nothing. Nothing, not even you, can rip you away from the power of God. Many times Christians struggle with um, assurance of salvation, assurance if they truly are saved. And what, is, what gives us assurance? Like what gives us assurance that we are in God's family? Well, it's that God is the one who saves you and he is the one who guards you. So he saves us. And he guards us. In fact, listen to Jesus in John chapter 10, verse 28. Jesus says, Jesus, the Son of God, says, I give them eternal life. So who is the one who gives eternal life? It's Jesus. So he's the shepherd. He finds his sheep. He says, I give them eternal life. They will never perish. So the question you have to ask yourself, if you struggle with assurance, if you truly are believing in Jesus, the question you have to ask yourself is, do you believe Jesus? He says, you'll never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all. So there's the power of God. And no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. In other words, your salvation is pretty secure because it's not pretty secure. It's very secure because it's in God's hands. He is all powerful. So what is your part in this? You know, what is your part? I mean, we've talked about regeneration. We've talked about God keeping you and guarding you. What's your part? Well, he says at the end of, uh, or the middle of verse five, he says, who by God's power are kept or guarded through faith. So faith is our part. And faith is the means by which we experience God's work of guarding us. So faith is the means by which we experience God's work of guarding us. And this text teaches us that, that our faith is the instrument whereby we hold onto God's power that saves us. And again, let's back up. Remember this. You can't be saved unless you are saved by faith. And that, that means you depend completely upon Jesus and his promise that he lived for you, he died for you, and if you believe in him, if you believe that he's the Savior, he's the Lord, you're not, then you can be saved. So we, that we, we, our lives, our spiritual lives start by faith, but do you realize they, they continue on by faith? Sometimes people get kind of this idea in their mind that, you know, I, I believed when I first became a Christian, like when I, when I first believed, that's, I believe then, and I, I don't, you know, believe anymore, or maybe I cannot, I, it's actually possible not to believe. That's actually not how it's pictured here in the scripture. It's like, you start believing, and you believe your whole life. It just keeps going on. So, you believe that Jesus died for you, and he rescues you, and now we believe, 
as Christians. We believe that he keeps us saved. So we believe in the past that he has saved us, and we also believe presently that he is still making, uh, he still is guarding our salvation. I became a, a believer when I was in my teens. I was 15 years old, grew up in a Christian home. You know, honestly, sometimes I wrestle with, when did I actually become a believer? You know, it's, you have a childhood where you, you hear the gospel a lot, had a lot of doubts. I had many professions of, of faith in Christ. And, and basically, I landed on 15 because that was really when I started saying, you know what, I think I'm serious about this, and I really do feel bad about my sin. And I actually really came to the place where I recognized that Jesus was the Savior I couldn't save myself. And so, so I, I, at that moment or that time in my life, I believe I was regenerated by the Holy Spirit, and I believe that I received new life. And in your faith, my faith at that moment began to grow. I mean, there were times when I doubted again. There were times when I didn't have assurance, and I had to come back to the Lord and, and, and seek the truth about what Christ has done for me. But my faith since then has grown. And, so, so, and that's kind of the idea you have here is that our part is that we have faith. We trust that he's our Savior, that he's our Lord, and then we're still trusting that this is true of us. And so I guess I would say this to you. If you're struggling with your uh, assurance of salvation, the best thing for you to do is ask yourself right now, what do you believe about Jesus? What do you believe about yourself? Like, do you believe you're a sinner? Do you believe you deserve judgment? Like, and what do you believe about Jesus? Do you believe he's the Savior? Do you believe he's the Lord? Sometimes people uh, counsel people to say, well, you know, if you just uh, have a date and you just put it on, that's the date that I got saved or Sometimes people have the idea that it's like, you know, if you can remember what happened. And, and I think that's probably a wrong focus, and that's because it, it focuses too much on what you're doing and, and maybe on your efforts and really should be upon who Jesus is and what Jesus is doing for you. So if, you, if you're struggling with assurance of salvation, it's probably best for you maybe to recognize, yeah, maybe, maybe this was a time I got saved in the past. Maybe there was that moment when I was 15. But actually, right now, Ben, what do you believe about Jesus? Like, what do I believe? What do I believe about Jesus? And so Jesus provided salvation for us. So we, we have a time where we, we start believing, and then we continue throughout our lives on this world to, in, in belief and faith in him. So the question then comes up. I'm not going to go through all the details of this, but the question sometimes comes up. What if uh, a person stops believing? Like, what if they stop believing in the Lord? And I, I think according to 1 Peter chapter 1 here in these texts, actually that's, that's not an option. It doesn't mean that you won't struggle. It doesn't mean that you have times where you're like, Lord, are you even there? It doesn't, it doesn't mean that like, there's, not, there's not periods of time where you really struggle with your faith. Okay? But if you truly are a believer, you will, you will keep believing, even if you struggle with believing. And it's even just in the description of a believer, like you keep believing. And so, so those who are truly saved will keep the faith throughout their life. Now, I do think I'd back up and say this, and I do warn people and, and even myself to be careful about um, people who are uh, someone else that's struggling with their faith and declaring whether they are saved or not saved. You know, oh, don't worry about it. You're a believer. You know, you're a believer. Don't worry about that. Ah, be careful about doing that. On the other hand, I think I'd be careful about saying to someone that maybe is struggling with or maybe even walked away for a second to declare that person is in a certain condition because it could be they're in a condition where they're struggling with it, especially when someone passes away and it's, there's uncertainty about what happened there. I just like leave that in the Lord's hands, right? We always speak the truth, always be clear with people. Like if, if someone's struggling, we try to help them. But we do got to be careful because we're not God. We can't see in people's hearts. So we declare the truth in, we call them back to Christ. 
but especially someone who goes on uh, and, and they pass on, we've got to be careful about uh, if, if, that, if it was uncertain with that person where their faith was. And so I just I kind of give that warning. But I, I back up to say this, so that I, according to this passage, am 100% certain that a person who is believing keeps believing. So it's not possible for you to have this little prayer when you're five years old and live an entire life of unbelief and think you're going to go to heaven. In fact, I was in, when I was in the South, South Carolina, it was common. So many people you meet because it's, you know, the South. Everyone is, quote, unquote, a Christian there, right? And in fact, I know a pastor that one time came from the North and came down South and knocked on every door. And he's like, would you believe everybody in the South is a Christian? This is amazing, you know? Well, it's because people have this idea that they just pray something when they're a kid, and you know, that means that they've kind of got their ticket to heaven. That's actually not true. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that you will keep believing. And so, so I do warn those people who think that way that, that you are uh, probably not a believer if you're not still believing. And so verse 5, it says that we are, we are guarded through faith. So again, the instrument whereby we hold on to God's power is faith. So you kind of the picture here is, is God, his, his power holds on to us, and in faith we hold on to him. When our children were smaller, uh, we would sometimes go on little trips with them in South Carolina. One time we went to the beach and we went to a lighthouse. And those are kind of fun to climb up and if they allow you to, to climb up and look around and stuff. But, you know, lighthouses aren't really made for children, you know, not especially for children to play on. And it can be a little nervous when you go up that spiral staircase and stuff. So I can remember, like, you know, especially when one of my children were a little smaller and younger and the toddler age, I'm holding them coming up. And I'm, I'm holding on them pretty tightly, especially when you're walking around those spiral staircase and you're looking straight down 150 feet. You know, it's, it can be a little scary when you have a little kid and you want them to fall down. You know, and I want you to imagine, you know, me holding on to that child. I, I mean, I'm just a human, but I'm, I'm holding on with all my might. I'm not going to let them go. You know, this is my child. I love this child. And that child may be holding on to my shirt in some way. You know, you get to the top there and you look out and the wind's blowing across. Maybe the child's a little scared and you go to the edge and that child holds on a little tighter. I think it's a really a great picture of, of God's uh, holding on to us and our holding on to him. You know, there might be a time where that child let, lets go a little bit or, or maybe that child holds on tighter. Honestly, it doesn't really matter how tight or how loose they hold on. Like, I'm not going to let go of that child. Why? Because that's my child. Why is the child holding on to me? The child trusts me. The child, it's my child. Like, that, that child loves me, and it, it trusts that I'm not going to let go of, of, of him or her. And that's, I think, a really great picture of that because, it's, yeah, yes, there's a sense where you are holding on to God by faith, and you have to do that, right? But the, the thing that really holds on to you is his power. Like, God is holding on to onto you. So we're kept by the power of God through faith, it says, for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. And salvation, sometimes we think of, again, as that initial time we're, we're saved. But salvation, the word salvation, actually points to a past, present, and future work of salvation. So, you know, in the past, we're regenerated. Uh, we're given salvation. The present, we're kept by his power. In the future, we look forward to the blessing of salvation, full salvation, which is restoration and and us being resurrected and to be like Christ. And when is that going to happen? Well, it says there's a future day, a point in time, when actually Christ will, will change the dynamics of everything. Everything will change. And that's when Christ comes in his second coming. And that day will bring judgment for the wicked, but also bring, bring rest for the saints. And honestly, there's a lot of an eschatology, a lot in between there that I'm just not going to go into today for the sake of time. But just in general, 
just to say that there is coming a day when he will make all things new. So if you're without Christ and you're listening to my voice here this morning without Christ, I invite you to, to repent and believe the gospel. You don't know when that, when, the, when Christ will come back. You don't know when the world will end. You don't even know when your own life is going to end. And there, but you do know this, there will be a day when you'll be in eternity. And according to the scriptures, you'll either be with God or be separated from God. And so we invite you to come to Christ this morning. And then believers, as we think about those who have already entered into eternity, as we think about someone like Margie right now, Granny, who's with the Lord, and other relatives that we know, other uh, friends and family that are in Christ, that are with the Lord, we rejoice that they're with Christ, and we think about ourselves, and we long to be with Christ. Think about what Paul says, for me to live is Christ. In other words, I'm living right now for Christ. Like My life is about Christ, and to die is gain. And it's gain, why? Because I'm with Christ, because I get what I'm longing for, and that is to be in the presence of of the Lord. So I asked, you know, yesterday uh, through text what people's favorite songs were, and, and I was looking for uh, a song that actually I really enjoy, and so one person sent this song, and it's a song, What a Day That Will Be. I'm not going to sing like I did last week, don't worry, <laughs> that's probably not going to happen again, but, um, but I just want to read the words for this song, and then we can close in prayer. And let me encourage you to do this when we're done with... Um, our time here this morning, I encourage you with your family or whoever you're with to maybe get a song on YouTube or somewhere else that talks about heaven and to sing that with your family and uh, sing that to the Lord. What a day that will be when my Jesus I shall see and I look upon his face, the one who saved me by his grace. When he takes me by the hand and he leads me through the promised land, what a day. What a glorious day that will be. There'll be no sorrow there, no more burdens to bear. No sickness, no pain, no more parting over there. And forever I will be with the one who died for me. What a day. What a glorious day that will be. Let that be on our mind the rest of our day, the rest of our week. The day we'll get to be with our Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Oh, Father, there's a lot we long for. We long to gather again. We long to see each other. We long to see our country turn to you. And there's many more things that God in our hearts that we feel uh, just not at peace in regard to how things are going in our world. But we also, God, long for most above all else, we long to be with you. Jesus, we long to be in your presence. We long for that day when our bodies that are now falling apart, that are in pain, that struggle, that they can be made new. That we can live in a world that's made new. That we can have really a moral a heart that is made new and that is perfect and can honor you and doesn't struggle with the temptations of this world and the temporal thoughts of this world. We can be in your presence and perfectly worship you and so, God, we as a church, we gather right now in, our, in, our, in the spirit of God and say, God, we long for Christ. Oh, Lord Jesus, come back. We want to see your face. We want to be with you. And then, God, we, we also long for those who are without Christ to come. Oh, how the days are fleeting. The time is close to the end. And we don't even know when that could be for some. 
And so, God, we pray, will you we think about family and friends that are on our minds right now that need Christ, and we want them to come to Christ, so we pray for them. And we think about our city that needs to come to Christ and our state and our, the leadership of our state. And so, God, we ask, God, will you just do this work in people's hearts? And before you come, we want people to come to you. We want people to repent and believe the gospel. So, God, use us in this regard. Give us, give us that heart of Paul that says, that says you know, I, I would actually wish that I could be damned for their sake. In other words, I have such a passion for people to, to come in your presence that, that I would be willing to, to take their place. And, and so, God, give us that desire for people, for souls. I pray for our church that you'll comfort them during this time. I think about Claire and Carrie specifically. Give them comfort and wisdom and uh, as they make decisions and make plans. And uh, I think about other people in our church who are going through difficulties, losses of jobs and, and other uh, situations that I'm thinking about in my mind right now that I'll, I guess I won't say publicly, but just I, I pray for those individuals that, God, you will continue to work in their heart and give them grace to be able to to step through these difficulties with you. And we pray that we'll be thankful in all things throughout this week, no matter what happens, that we'll give thanks for Jesus. You have done so much for us. We praise you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you, Lighthouse Bible Church. Still be connecting with each other. Still be praying for one another. And, uh, and make sure you send a, a note to Claire and Carrie and tell them that you're praying for them. God bless you.